Hey, this is Lee. I really hope you've been enjoying the Business of Marketing podcast. It's from marketers and for marketers, and my intention is to bring you value, experiences, and insights that you can use. Also, if your company would like to have their own podcast, I would love to help. The team at Content Monster specializes in B2B podcasts. So if we can help, contact me at contentmonster.com. That's contentmonster, M-O-N-S-T-A.com. Enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the Business of Marketing Podcast where we have conversations with some of the most influential and thought-provoking minds in marketing, sales, and business. And here's your host, A. Lee Judge. Welcome again to the Business of Marketing. I'm A. Lee Judge. Eight years of marketing of my marketing career were spent as a marketer in the customer experience industry. The parallels, even the dependency between marketing and customer experience became very clear to me. Um, And in previous episodes, you may have actually heard marketing experts like Andrew Davis, Carla Johnson, and Guy Kawasaki talk about the responsibility of customer experience in supporting the success of marketing. And it seems that the frontline members of your company or organization may be one of the strongest gears in your marketing engine. We'll learn more about that with today's guest. He has more than 20 years in sales, marketing, and corporate leadership, and as the co-founder and president of Interview Group, he continues to be an entrepreneur to help companies better align the strategies of the boardroom with the daily execution at the front lines. Um, And most exciting for me, I get to talk to someone who shares the same superpower, understanding marketing and the ability to speak sales. So welcome to the podcast, Chris Wallace. Thank you. Lee Judge, really glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Definitely. My pleasure. And I'm looking forward to talking with you. Um, And thank you for being with me today. Um, Today, Chris, we're likely to be using the term frontline a lot. So can you give us your definition of the frontline and how it relates to the customer experience and marketing? Yeah, I mean, frontline and and customer experience, I think, go hand in hand because we think of frontline as anybody who has a, a direct interface with a customer. Right, any direct interaction with a customer. And a lot of times we'll talk about frontline and people think of it as, and during the pandemic, I think that um, people started to think of it as, you know, just somebody working the, the, the uh, cash register or something like that. They're certainly a frontline employee. They absolutely are. If you start to think about frontline and who all those people are that you interact with, whether it's face-to-face or over the phone or, or through chat and things like that, um, there are a lot of frontline employees throughout a lot of, a lot of big brands. So um, we focus on the people who, who serve the customers directly. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. So actually, um, earlier in my career, I worked for a company that lost a major contract because the communication flow was broken between the employees who interacted directly with customers and the executives that ran the company. So those boots on the ground employees had information that could have supported better marketing and marketing could have helped these employees jobs to be easier by educating customers. So in your experience, what are some initial steps that an organization can do to help connect the those closest to the customer experience with those who make the decisions? You're, you're, you're starting out. That, that's a, that's a big loaded question. That's a great place <laughs> to start. It, it's, it's a good, that, that, that's the stuff that gets me excited. I mean, we look at it as um, the, nobody knows your customer better than your frontline employees. Who, who understands how they behave, what makes them tick, 
you know, what decisions they make better than your frontline employees. It's certainly not your, your research department. Your research department might think that they know your customer in and out, and they may have, you know, they may have a directional understanding of what the customer wants, but nobody truly understands the mindset of the customer better than the frontline employees who serve them every day. So, you know, we talk about frontline insights and we talk about the opportunity to learn from the people in the trenches. And, and I'll share just a quick anecdote with you. We, whenever we do, you know, we have a tool, we have a frontline you know, insights tool called in front. And whenever we do an in front study, people always ask us, is this going to help us gather information from the front lines to help us make better decisions? Or is this going to help us get them to execute on our strategy better? And the answer we always give them is yes. The listening part is key. If you, if you truly believe that they have knowledge that, that is valuable to you, you need to listen in a structured way to them and use that feedback as intelligence to make better marketing decisions right from those people who serve customers, but also in terms of understanding where they have gaps. There may be things that they don't understand. They don't see the value in aspects of your, of your, your brand or your value proposition and understanding how to get them more aligned, you know, kind of on the downstream side of it is a big benefit as well. So you know, to, it's a long answer to your question, but but I'll, I'll shorten it to say, listen to them and do it in a structured way. Okay, so I gave you a loaded question. You gave me a loaded answer. So there's a lot I want to unpack there. Um, so we're talking about data that you should be able to glean from your customer interactions. So once you get that, once you listen, as you said, and you get that information, how can marketers use this data to guide things like their go-to-market strategies? Yeah, so I think that the... Um, when you think about the data that marketers have, right? We we talk about it. There, there's sort of there's sort of two buckets that that there's three buckets that they have, but they they have market research to, in terms of understanding the customer. They have market research that says in a in a test or in a focus group, people say they want this, so we're going to give them that. We're going to build our messaging. We're going to build our products. Whatever whatever part of their marketing strategy it's shaping, they're listening on the front end of their customers. Then you mentioned your time and customer experience. The growth of customer experience technology and, and measurement and things like net promoter score and customer satisfaction and, you know, sort of these surveys that everybody gets the, you know, rate your experience one to 10, um, they, they're using that too to understand how they felt after the interaction. So they have information about what happens before the interaction. They have information about what happens after the interaction. And what we've done as an organization is try to help them understand what's going to happen during What's, what, are, what are the forces at play, right? What is, what is going to drive the decision-making? What is going to drive the, really their perceptions during that interaction? And a big part of that equation is the frontline employee. So in terms of using that, how do they use that data from a go-to-market perspective? I'm going to give you an example from a client. We had a client okay. that did, we, we did an in-front study with, uh, with one of our clients and they had a bolt, a technology company and they had a bolt-on service to their core offering that was free. It was free. You didn't pay anything for it. There was never a price for it. And we did a study with their frontline teams. And what we got back from them was the, the free part of the conversation is hurting us. It's actually hurting us. And there were two reasons why. The first was the old, if you give it away, do people perceive there to be any value? There was sort of the like, am I getting anything of value? And the second piece was all of the competitors who had a similar product all charged for it. And since the inception of that product category, it's always been something that people paid for. So they expected to pay for it. So when somebody offered them something for free in that category, they're like, 
how good can it possibly be? So we were able to give their, their product team and their go-to-market team these insights that the people selling it, they're not saying that the price is too high like they normally do. They're saying mm. the price is too low. If you want there to be the perceived value, you've got to put some sort of a price on it. So in terms of making actual strategic decisions, that's a perfect example of the frontline teams waving their hands saying, if you want me to sell more of it, it's actually easier if you raise the price of it. So that, that in effect cheapened their whole offering then. It cheapened their offering. It made it hard. There wasn't trust with the consumers to say they felt like maybe there was a catch to it. But at the end of the day, they would not have learned. What it, so what did the corporate team think? The corporate team looks at their sales and they say, we want to be moving more of this. It's a strategic product for us. We want them to use it. It's sticky. It's about customer retention. And what ended up happening was their sales were, or the, the, the units being moved were, were flagging. They, they weren't doing well. And corporate team thought they don't understand it. They don't understand how to explain it to customers. They don't understand the information. Let's give them more training. Well, this is a great example of we were able to share with them, don't spend your time, money, or effort on training. Don't They get it. They completely understand. They know who the competitive set is. They need help talking about the value of it. And the attachment of value is not there if, they're, if they're, the, the cost is free. So we were able to give them some information to help them adjust some of their strategy and ultimately make a better marketing decision by listening to their front lines. So we see how that information helped you make a better marketing decision in terms of go-to-market. So let's look at that with the same information from a different angle in terms of, I heard you mention earlier about, you know, before the customer, once they're a customer, after they're a customer. Let's frame that in terms of content marketing. Um, so from what I understand and what I've evangelized from a content marketing standpoint, you want to understand how to market to your customer in all those different stages as well. Yep. Um, and so the way you speak to someone who isn't a customer yet versus who is already a customer could be totally different. And the key to knowing how to change that message has to do with understanding the sales process, uh, the customer experience, all those things need to be understood by marketing. Otherwise you can't change your language to fit the right customer. So yeah. what, what have you seen in, in that, in terms of creating content marketing to fit the, the customer experience? Really interesting to, to frame it up that way, like in, in terms of content, because at the end of the day, what the customer hears and what they see and what they react to, it's all content, okay? It's all content at the end of the day. The delivery mechanisms change. But what I would say is this, you know, we talk about alignment a lot. It's a word we use, and we know it's a little bit buzzword, you know, a little bit of a buzzword, and we've tried to get away from it at times, but you can't because it's really important that you having alignment, you know, especially on the go to market side is important. And we know that marketers are saying that alignment internally is their biggest struggle in getting something to market. So the when we talk about alignment, the, the idea of I see an ad, I see a piece of content, I, I see a, you know, if it's a B2B world, I, I see an ebook or, you know, I'm top of the funnel. I, I download an ebook and I'm getting one store. I'm getting one version of the story. Okay. And then I see an ad through digital and I get another snippet of that story. And then I'm go, moving down the phone and then I get an email, the, the drip email comes in and I'm getting another piece of that story. And then I'm talking to a person. I move further down the funnel and I'm talking to a person. What they say in the message they deliver, it's still content. It's just a different, it's a different delivery mechanism. It's still part of that story. But the question we always ask marketers is, how confident are you that the message you create through all of those pieces of content and all those touch points is going to be consistent with what your people say? And you know what their reaction is? 
They're not. It's something blood starting to boil, laughter, (laughs) wanting to pass out. We we do not struggle to get marketers to say, I have I I have little confidence that the person is going to tell a consistent version of the story that all my other content, all my other touch points did. So when you think about alignment as a brand, if you want to deliver a consistent value proposition, the people involved are such a key part of that because I'll be honest with you, all your content can be great if they stand in front of a salesperson and what they say doesn't feel like what got them interested through all that content, you've got a real problem. Now they're like, wait a second, didn't your ebook say this? Or didn't the advertisement say that? Or I saw a commercial the other day. If the messages aren't consistent throughout, it becomes a real challenge. You know, that reminds me of one of my previous, one of my proudest uh, accomplishments as a marketer working with the sales team was that I insisted on the marketers attending the sales meetings, being invited to the sales meetings. And what that allowed was for the marketers to hear from the frontline sales what were the customer objections? What were the, the, the barriers to getting those deals closed? What were the questions that the customers didn't understand they need to learn more about that marketing could all answer, but that could only happen if marketing was in those meetings to hear those things. Because yep. marketing wasn't going on the sales calls, so they never heard the objections. Um, and the result of that was once sales began to see uh, more alignment coming from marketing with them, then sales would actually attend marketing meetings because they wanted to give the input. They wanted to yep. say, hey, I've heard this objection five times this week. Can you create a white paper or a webinar to answer it? So when I walk in the door, they already know. And like you said earlier, we're, we're presenting the exact same message and we're just reinforcing each other. What we do for our clients is a, a systematized or systematic version of what you just said. We, we, mm-hmm. are, we are trying to make that, that feedback loop turning it into, use the word content again, we create a lot of content for sales teams that's, that really pushes the boundaries of what they're used to getting. Help them tell a story, not just help them, compel them to tell a story, make it interesting and something that they want to tell. So marketing 101 is understand your audience and deliver a message that's going to resonate with them. Organizations struggle to do that with their sales and their frontline teams. They struggle with the, what they do is they say, well, we've got all the information. We know what we're going to say to the consumer. We're going to train people on it. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. Most corporate training that I've ever seen doesn't exactly compel great storytelling, right? It doesn't spur great storytelling. So what we do is we develop content that looks a lot like the, a lot more like the content you would deliver to a consumer than it does, you know, your typical, what your training department would, would create. And what that does, we think is, is really help make sure that the message is going to resonate. And if we have the data and we have that feedback loop, then we know we have a much better idea of what's going to resonate because we, we listen to our audience first. So that idea of building that feedback loop, one question we always get, we always get the question of, well, what if sales is not willing to give feedback or if they try to just like tell us what they want to hear? We have never had that happen. Never once have we run the many dozens, you know, into the hundreds of studies that we've run We've never had a situation where the sales team was digging their heels in. If you go to a salesperson and say, you are a key part of our brand. You are the messenger. You're the face of our brand. We want to know what you know, and we want to know what you think. We want your input. And you, and you deliver that message in the right way, they're going, to, they're, they're going to talk all day. You know, salespeople will talk all day long. So if you set it up the right way, you're going to get honest, genuine feedback from them, and you need it. You're incomplete without it. Yeah. Essentially, before we became recording today, we realized that we both speak sales and marketing, 
I come from the marketing side, you come from the sales side, and it's, it's great to have this conversation. Um, and as you said, what sales would never ask for, because from a marketing standpoint, you know, our goal is to prove to sales that we are worthy, that we are contributing to the bottom line. And to do that, we need to understand what sales is doing. And I agree. I've never heard a salesperson say, don't align with me or don't support me. Don't create content that makes it easier for me to walk into the door with the educated customer. Um, They're not, they don't want to go in and um, educate. They want to go in and close. So (laughs) marketing can help with the education. I think one of the keys though, it's so important that the marketer knows how to ask, that they know how to ask for the feedback. Because if you go up to a salesperson and you say, um, what do you need to be more successful? You ask them, what do you need to be more successful? You're going to get some version of these two answers. Typically, you're going to get the compensation needs to be adjusted. Okay, (laughs) Compensation needs to be adjusted because salespeople are told that they're coin operated, even though I don't think they really are. Salespeople are constantly treated like they're like they're only they only care about money so they've been conditioned to say that second thing they've been conditioned to say is we don't have enough training on it so if you don't know how to ask the question if you don't know how to peel back the onion a little bit you're going to get some version of you don't pay me enough to sell it or you haven't trained me properly so organizations go back and they change comp structures or they change spiffs or incentives or they provide more training and both those things happen and guess what the results don't change at all like you didn't do anything to really convince that salesperson that you have put them in a position to be more successful in front of a customer. You need to be asking questions about what are their, what are their hangups? What are the challenges? What are the obstacles that you're seeing? What's working with them? What's really resonating with them? We break down the value proposition and we ask the frontline teams, which aspects of the value proposition do you think the company is strongest like rate them. We want to know as if you, through the eyes of a customer, where do you think we are strong? And from that, we're really able to understand if the the attributes that the company is marketing externally match up with what's going to be delivered at, at you know point of customer interaction. And if they're not aligned, you've got a real problem. But if you don't know how to ask, you're going to get answers that end up having you chase your tail, waste a bunch of time, and your results aren't going to improve at all. So that idea of building a feedback loop, you've got to build it the right way. Absolutely. I want to pivot a little bit and talk about brand. Um, so I know you, you know a lot about that. Um, one of the services that my agency provides is helping business leaders humanize their brand by being involved in the content that their marketing teams produce. And when I say business leaders, I mean everyone from the sales team to marketers and even the C-suite. Um, and so in your experience, how can internal members of an organization contribute to brand lift by showing up themselves in the company's branding and messaging? So I'm going to give you an example. This is not something we did, but but probably my favorite example ever of this. There was an article, uh, you know, uh, during the pandemic. Okay, it was during the pandemic about David's Bridal, who I'm located in Philadelphia. They're actually a Philly-based company. And David's Bridal um, found themselves with a couple of challenges. They found themselves with um, trying to do photo shoots. They needed to do, they needed models. There was a lack of models because of COVID and because of some of the restrictions there. Um, being able to, you know, jumping through the hoops to get models in was extremely expensive. So what did they do? They went to their employees and they said, who wants to be a model for our, our shoot for, for next year's line? And it, it, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal all about this. And it was um, it was just very moving. And it was just an example of 
smart business, you know, solving, you know, smart business problems, right? Or, or smart ways of solving business problems. So what they did was a couple of things. They said, if you do this, if you're chosen to do this, um, you're going to get a makeover. So you're going to get, you're going to get the hair and makeup and you're going to get the, the whole, whole model treatment. treatment. Yeah. You're also going to keep, you're going to get to keep the clothes that you model. So there's going, you're going to get to keep the the, the stuff that, that you model. It'll be yours. And which, you know, I, I, I don't know if everybody's going to use 10 wedding dresses, but, you know, I think that was, it was a nice thing. They didn't, pay, they didn't have to pay models. So they saved the money and they elevated their brand. And I, I think a truly authentic way. And some of the pictures were just, they're just gold. Like, you know, woman who works for you, think about that woman who works for you in the pride of representing the company versus a model. And, you know, you might not be able to tell in the photograph, but the impact that has throughout your organization, people's belief in that brand, you can ask yourself, is it more important to build a brand from the outside in or the inside out? We're big believers in the inside out model that you, if you have people that believe in it, that's going to come through. It's going to drive a great customer experience. It's going to be very authentic. So to me, that's a great example. So we use that as, a, as inspiration. We encourage our clients all the time. If, if we're creating content with you, um, if, if internal or external content, use your people. They care about your brand. They, they are the face of your brand. And you want to talk about building up equity with your people, make them an integral part of the process rather than hiring actors or actresses and models. Like you, you get a lot of, you get a lot more equity for that than you do, you know, by, by hiring externally. So I think there's a lot of ways that you can include both senior level leadership. One thing I would say about senior level leadership, if you're going to include senior level leadership, we are big fans of doing it in a tongue in cheek way. We're pitching a, a, a campaign, right? An internal campaign to a, to a major banking client. And we're pitching them on something that really has the executive leaders put in sort of funny circumstances. And it's just a great way of humanizing that leader to their people and endearing themselves to them, that they're not just delivering this corporate message from behind their big mahogany desk. So we're big fans of incorporating, you know, the team wherever you can, but do it in a way that is, that, that, that's going to resonate and be comfortable for them and not be something that's stiff and, and contrived. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, both of us are probably trying to avoid using the word authentic because it's been beaten and hammered to death. But it still is it's a reason to use it. It's, when you humanize the content that way, you do get authenticity and thought authenticity is very valuable. It still works. It's still a key, right? Yeah. I th- so I would ask you, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to throw a question back to you. In your mind, how do you define authenticity? You say it's overused and I agree it's like alignment. But what, what do you what does authenticity mean to you? To me, it means that you show that you're human and imperfect because okay. no one's perfect. And if it comes off as perfect, then it's not possibly authentic, right? So yep. if you listen back to our conversation, we're going to repeat ourselves, we're going to stutter. But if we were to do this for a commercial, we would not repeat or stutter or pause at all. Yep. The authenticity would be lost. Humans are not perfect. So to yep. me, that's the main thing. And that's why I like the David's Bridal, to the using the executives in video. That to me not only builds brand outside the company, but I think if, and this, I want to get your take on this. Like, I think you kind of mentioned it. If the internal employees are, get FaceTime as part of the brand, it also builds internal, internal marketing brand for them to f- fall in love with their own company because now they're a part for of sure. it. For sure. And, and I think, I mean, and, and I think, I think that the, the wedding dress industry is a great example of who's ever bought a wedding dress e-commerce it's an e- it's an un-e-commerceable product 
You can't e-commerce a wedding dress. You can buy it online, but you're going someplace to get it altered and fitted and all those types of things. There are so many things like that, that that consumers buy that you really need a person there. And if you think about the person you interact with from David's Bridal, if they are bought in, if they if, if they go to, to meet with that bride to be and they just got done watching the video of the new ad, the ad shoot, and they're seeing their people like they feel good about the company they work for. They feel good about the fact that we're here to serve this bride. And it, 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 listen, it seeps in. Another overused word that that I like to avoid whenever I can is culture, but culture is about the repetitions, about doing things over and over again. And and I truly believe that it starts to seep in. So using the content in that way, I think that you're going to end up with people who believe more in it. And guess what? Those people who believe in it, if they stand in front of a customer, that's where the authenticity kicks in. And the, we don't just say we are this way, we actually are this way way. We don't say we care. And then you show up and you get something else. We actually care as part of the fabric of our company. That's, that's, I almost wanted to end right there, but I have one more question because <laughs> I loved the way you said that, that, that is so true. Um, so before we go, I do want to get back to something we mentioned earlier, which was, I know that you do some measurement in terms of sales and marketing alignment. Um, I believe you have some kind of methodology in which you measure alignment. Yep. Can you give yeah, us some so insight? Yeah, so we so the the, the two the frontline insights tool that we use is called Infront, and mm-hmm. Infront really is about um, essentially what we're doing is we are collecting we're it, it, we don't like to use the word feedback. This isn't like an ad hoc survey that goes out to to your frontline teams. And it's like, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? It's a very structured approach, and it's really it's modeled after the way that the best firms do market research. If you want to know what makes your customer tick. There's, a, there, there's methodologies that work to get that information back from them. Um, we take a very similar approach and, and similar rigor to the way we collect the data from the front lines, but we do it in a similar way where we're saying, we don't care what you know. We're not asking what they know. We're asking about their perception. How do they feel about the value proposition? How do they feel about their ability to represent the brand effectively and the value proposition effectively? And, and looking at it through the lens, like they're a customer, not like they're a frontline team. Or, or, I'm sorry, like like uh, not their, like a, a frontline employee. So in doing so, what we're able to do is we have the marketing team do the assessment and then we have the frontline teams do the assessment in all various channels. It could be call center, retail, uh, chat. There could be a lot of different channels involved. We have all the frontline teams take it. And then we do a statistical analysis of the way the corporate marketing team assessed their, their value proposition versus the way the frontline teams did. And we're through that statistical analysis, we're able to give them a measure of alignment to say, you said it's this, and from this, from you to this channel, you lost 31% of your message. You're 31% misaligned. Um, or in some cases, the lowest we've ever had was 7%. They were 7% misaligned. And 7% based on our measurement scale, it's kind of negligible. It's almost like, yeah, these people are pretty locked in. You say the message is this, they see the message the same way. That's a good thing. If your message is right, that's a really good thing. So there's other things that we do within Front. We, we do a, an advocacy uh, metric. So we are measuring frontline advocacy based on the way they do their answers. We have modeling built that comes back and says, okay, you have 42% of your, your frontline team are advocates for this product, for your brand, whatever it is. But you also have, you have 28 who are 
com- completely negative and in and, and, and the wrong direction on, on the value proposition you're trying to put out there. So we're trying to segment the population. So if we understand the audience, like I said before, you can move them, you can reach them with, with, with new and compelling messages. So um, Infront really is designed to be that structured feedback loop. And it's based on the idea of, we don't care what they know. Let's have them evaluate what we're doing the same way we would ask a customer to do it because they're the ones who have to represent the value every day. That's excellent. I mean, from a marketing standpoint, we always want to prove that value. But then even during the process of proving marketing's value, without having that feedback loop, it's hard for anybody to really recognize whatever they, whatever statistics they've, they've pulled out and say, oh, we've generated X number of leads, whatever. Without that loop of seeing what the value of that, that lead was, then you, you lose, the process just doesn't work. Um, so I, I like that you have this, this formula, I guess, this platform to measure that. I think it's very valuable. Yeah, we, we look at it and we say, I mean, like, like we said earlier, nobody knows your customer better than your front lines. So, you know, I think that I'm going to go back to a point you made about the, the content marketing and, and sort of thinking about these people as deliverers of content. They're, they're messengers. They deliver content and they're, they're human. So they're hard to control. They're hard to control. If you're a marketer, when we first started building our Frontline Insights platform, the feedback that we got from, from marketers was, this makes me feel like I can get clarity into where the breakdown is happening and help me gain more control over what people are going to say. If I can understand what's in their brain and what some of their preconceived notions are, in some cases, the myth they have in their head, I can then overcome those obstacles. If I don't know and I guess and I just throw a, a whole bunch more training at them, I'm not moving the ball downfield, so to speak. So the, the the phrase that we hear a lot from from marketers is, this gives me back more control over the message that I've painstakingly created. And as we know, marketers, they, they, don't, they, don't, they want everybody to think their baby's pretty. They don't want anybody to go <laughs> off script on it. So this is a way for marketers to gain a little bit more control. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Chris, I want to respect your time. I, I am tremendously grateful for your time and your insights today. It's been a pleasure. Um, please take a moment to share anything else you'd like to tell the audience, uh, maybe how we can even contact you. Yeah. I mean, the best way in terms of contacting us, um, I'm available on LinkedIn. Um, now I, I have a very common name. Uh, Chris, Christopher Wallace is not an uncommon name. So um, I'm in Philadelphia. You'll see interview group. You'll see the logo next to my name. So look me up on LinkedIn if you want to connect. Um, in terms of learning more about what we do, the best way is honestly learn more about Infront. It kind of all starts with the measurement for us. So infrontinsights.com, I'll provide that to you, you know, for, for you know, show notes and things like that. And um, infrontinsights.com is where you can learn about that process and learn about how you can tap in your frontline teams and gain some insights you didn't have yesterday. All right. Be sure to do that. So thanks, Chris. And also thanks to listeners. If you're listening to the podcast and want to also see Chris and I video the podcast and others will be available in the podcast section of contentmonster.com. Again, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Business of Marketing podcast, a show brought to you by contentmonster.com, the producer of B2B digital marketing content. Show notes can be found on contentmonster.com as well as aleejudge.com. To continue the conversation, be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast platform.